Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the TKW Podcast. I am Anthony Corbo. I am joined, as I am most weeks, by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, everyone? That's at Kyle Maggio on Twitter. Also joining us on this episode, we got Brian Giberman. Yanks dropping two of three to the Orioles to start to start the season. What a shame. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not good. Um, haven't the Mets won like two straighter to get things going? Did they win today too? I have no idea. I haven't watched a single pitch of baseball. I'm here just to taunt Kyle anytime the Yankees don't do something good. Wow, now you recognize what it's like for me and the NFL. No, no, they they, they lost today, but it was six to five. They're still playing really good to start the year. I'm happy to see that. Um, before we get into things tonight, uh, just a reminder to go follow. All of us on Twitter, you can follow me at Corbo Anthony, along with my co-host. You can follow the Knicks wall at the Knicks wall at TKW podcast. Um, head over to the Knicks Make sure that you're checking out all of our uh, articles there, all of our great coverage from our fantastic staff. We have, uh, you know, subscribe to us on YouTube. Please give us the, uh, the subscribe and the five stars on iTunes. Uh, before we get into tonight's episode, uh, just want to quickly address the uh, shocking, just abhorrent allegations made against Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, there is a, an allegation of rape that has been charged against him, or that's been alleged against him, uh, from a a someone in his building they used to live with. Uh, there's some hush money involved. Apparently, that it would, this this uh, incident, this attack came uh, allegedly after the the game where he tore his ACL. And then Porzingis went home that night. There's there's video of him for later on that night. And then, you know, anything after that point is unknown. But the story uh, is still obviously developing. Um, it is just disgusting, if true. Um, we don't have much more to say about it here. But uh, make sure you're following us on the Knicks wall. Reed Goldsmith is, is constantly uh, updating an, an article on this as more details come out. So uh, for more coverage on this, head to the site. Uh, I know Mark Berman has it covered and just generally, you know, the, the post staff who broke it. I think Tina Moore was the one who broke it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, more details coming out about that. Uh, for now, we're going to turn our attention to the Knicks heat matchup from Saturday, which uh, started off really, really encouraging. And I mean, that first half was great and they slowed down towards the second half. There was obviously a lot in the air with the Dwayne Wade uh you know, last dance thing, whatever he's doing. But uh, I, I would say an exciting uh, first half on Saturday. I, I, I don't know what you guys think. It was a good, it was a good game. Um, it, it was pretty exciting. It was nice to see Dennis kind of get back into the swing of things that look good, you know, really pushing, you know, the ball with transition and, uh, you know, just, you know, being the offensive player that he is, which is fun to watch. And uh Mitch starting was also a lot of fun and actually seeing those two play together to, and, you know, do well, uh, was just, it was good to see that kind of basketball being played, uh, first and foremost. So, uh, Moody was really good in that game too, uh, mostly in the first half, but, uh, that was about it. I think the, the Moody stuff. So this is, I mean, that game it couldn't exemplify him more. I thought the first half, I, I and I even said it on Twitter, like this is someone I rarely compliment. Like even his good games, I typically think it's bad shot selection and just shots going in and nothing from it right. is sustainable. But in that first half, he got to the foul line nine times. He was eight of nine. I think he had like 21, 18 points on six shots, and it was mainly on either taking threes, driving the ball to the basket. And then the other thing I thought he actually did well for once which is something he struggles with a lot is he ran the offense decently. Him and Cornette showed some decent chemistry and he hit him a bunch when he was driving and hitting kickouts with the extra space that was creative with having the other three point shooter out there. 
And look, the defense was defense, but offensively, I thought he played a really terrific half. And then the second half, it all, it just, it went right back to it. I mean, even within that first half, there was a little bit of sloppiness with his passing, and that is always going to be there. I just don't think he's an overly careful basketball player. He's loose with the basketball. But then when you add in, he's, when he starts taking bad shots again, he's not aggressive going to the rim. Then he's not taking as many foul shots. The three-point shot's a little bit inconsistent. And he and then the and then he wasn't running the offense well. And it got to the point where it was so bad that Fisdale pulled him with three minutes left in the game for Smith. It, and you know Fisdale doesn't want to pull Moody. He's given him as much rope as any player on this team. Right. And, and I mean, Dennis Smith did, did not have a great game back and, and, you know, as he returned from injury. But uh, yeah, Moody, I definitely had that. He just had something really, really encouraging. going. It's like you're saying, like someone we haven't really seen before, someone we haven't really, you know, been able to compliment like that. And it really it came down to a lot of it was the free throw shooting. And yeah, just just, you know, once kind of Cornette started slowing down a little bit. Uh, you know, once uh, once Moutier kind of fell out of rhythm, it was just, yeah, there there was, it just seems like once one thing goes in his game, it all starts to fall apart. But when he has it all tied together, there's actually a pretty productive player in there. Really, when we're getting into it, though, the the encouraging part of, of this evening was uh, was Mitchell Robinson, you know, getting out from, uh, you know, earlier that David Fizdell is going to be starting Mitchell Robinson for the rest of the season. Um and, and, you know, it's just DeAndre Jordan's all the way on board, something we didn't see from Ennis Cantor. Big points have been made about that so far. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Mitch had a, had another just, I mean, superb game, but as far as, you know, his, his defense was concerned, especially in the first quarter, um, I mean, nothing was really getting past him. There was that one really nice play. Uh, it got waved off with that alley-oop between Moutier and him, where he, like, he stole, Mitchell Robinson stole the ball, uh, you know, kind of deflected it up into the air. And then without even really, you know, putting his foot down, he just swatted the ball over to Moutier, who then threw it back up to him. And Moutier got fouled on the pass, so the alley-oop was, was thrown up, was not counted. But, yeah, I mean, just, God, I just find new ways to be impressed still every day. I was told if Mitchell started that it would ruin his rhythm and he wouldn't be good anymore. And we couldn't have him start because of that. I was I interested. I, I was like, I felt like it was kind of a weird game to do it because I was really interested to see how, you know, him matching up with Hassan Whiteside off the bench would have worked out. Uh, but I mean, they saw plenty of time against each other anyway. So. And Bam's a really good player. I like Bam. Better. I agree. Uh, I, I think I he's better, but the offensive challenge against Mitch from Whiteside, I think, would have been an interesting thing to look at. It's it's a little different. Like one's just like you're more po getting some post up touches with Bam. He has to uh, defend in space a little bit and like cut off passing lanes. I thought Cornette looked encouraging too. I thought I, you know really just he what did he finished with like 17 points I believe. But uh, oh no, he had a he had a really good game actually. He had yeah, like yeah. 17. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up. I think it was like eight rebounds. And then like it was like three assists, three steals. He was nice. He was nice and open. Like he was just bombing away. Like I felt like he got into a really good rhythm. He's been playing well in the G League recently. I think he's, these, he's been able to carry that up. These are the two best centers that have been on the Knicks roster all season. So, so all those stats I said were correct. And then he also had three blocks. And yeah. uh, Robinson's stat line was nine points. 14 rebounds, three steals, four blocks, uh, just four, four shooting because of course the dunks, um, you know, Cornette shot, uh, five of 14 from the field, which sounds worse than I remember. Oh, th that's probably well, why. He's five of 12. Five, yeah. Every yeah. shot with the ring. Yeah. So that's, that's fine. That's what you want. So, I don't know. I, it was it was good basketball out of them. You know, it, they they play two contrasting styles, and it, it spreads the floor. And uh, I mean, it was just it was good to see. It came down to another just awful third quarter again. You know, like they they really yeah. did look pretty solid through. I mean, they had a, a nice lead through the through the uh, you know the first half. I mean, they were up by what like twelve at halftime. And no, uh, no they 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 it was they like six by halftime. Oh yeah, six. they took the lead and they like got the lead up 
early in the third quarter, and then the Heat kind of took over. Oh, from gotcha, there. gotcha. That's right. Yeah, but uh, it's just uh, I don't know. You know, it, it's I've, I'm still encouraged by that. Like I know that the third quarter has to improve greatly, and you know we're not kidding ourselves about the roster overhaul that's definitely coming in this offseason either. But I, I don't know. You know, just seeing that kind of. I don't know what happens with Luke Cornett after the season, but, you know, having Mitchell Robinson in that position and really letting them build some chemistry together, like Fizdale was mentioning, too. I mean, that's great to see. Um, I, you know, obviously Dennis Smith is getting back from injury, but got to have a lot of eyes on him. I'm really glad to have a couple of last games with him. Uh, we did get the news that Frank Nielakina has been shut down for the rest of the season. Uh, and that, I feel like, has is going to have a pretty... Uh, a a definite impact on where his career heads from here. I, honestly, I don't really think it matters. It's just the season's over. He's going to go into the off season and do what he was going to do. And him missing or playing six games here wouldn't really have changed all that much. Most likely the organization's already, they're either going to get an offer they'll take for him or they won't. And we'll see. We will see what happens. I kind of feel like that's, probably it for him but i i don't know it's kind of wild to me that the knicks only played the eight players against the heat though like even like deandre jordan didn't play at all he didn't even just come off the bench like he wasn't he is not in that game i'm sure he's fine with a little bit of rest at the end of this year honestly uh it's not a coincidence that their defense wasn't a train wreck and neither Cantor or Jordan played, then it was just Mitch and Cornette the entire game at the center spot. You had an elite rim protector on the court at all times. I, I would be really comfortable with those two plus a veteran minimum backup that's somewhat capable of playing occasionally, being your three being your three centers next year. I could really live with that. It's it's just so encouraging to like know that. Mitchell Robinson is going to be in this rotation. He's going to be like, like, I, I feel like since the Knicks have started doing their tanking things other than, you know, when, when Porzingis first came to the team, like, it just feels like all of these picks have like, cause it, it, I mean, just from what we've seen on the court, like there's been such mixed results in them. And just to see him come out of nowhere and be like, you know, nearly guaranteed to be their, their starting center, you know, moving forward. That's, Man, I just, I, it's just, I haven't felt this good about a rookie in, in a long time. Not Knox, I thought, played a, a pretty decent game. He continues, like, when they get him the ball and he's a little bit on the move, he's showing a little bit more shiftiness to beat guys off the dribble. He finished a couple at the rim. The one spot where he struggled today was when they tried to give him a couple, like, mid-post touches from, like, 12 to 14 feet out. And he tried to like ISO and beat his guy to the left, but he had no way to set up his left hand. So it was easy. I don't remember who was guarding him each time, but it was easy for the heat defender to move his feet, stay in front of him. And he dribbled the ball off his foot and got it stolen or both times he dribbled it off his foot and turned it out of bounds. So that's another area where he needs to improve. He's comfortable going left, but in a standstill, he has to develop, a move or so he can get into the left and have the guy on his hip instead of driving straight into someone. And you know, being completely serious. And I, I saw a couple of them, these comps last summer kind of loosely thrown out about, you know, him and Durant, but they do have that same way that they play with that frame, you know, and, and what they're supposed to be good at. And, you know, he's got to use that length as advantage. Like Katie's a lot, uh, Katie does a lot of like the rip throughs or, you know, the way he just kind of swings and uses his body to kind of create the space versus trying to blow by you quickly. Um, he would be wise to kind of look at some of those moves because he really doesn't have much. He usually hesitates. You see him like as soon as they kind of crowd him, he's usually kind of uh, double and triple pumping a little bit. And then he kind of kicks it out or uh, it's a contested shot. So, he would be wise to kind of pick up on a couple of those things. I mean, the, the other thing I've kind of seen, like his field goal percentage is at least going up a little bit uh, in the last couple of games. I think Clyde said something like he was, he's been like up above like 45, I want to say for, for the, you know, a, a recent stretch. I, I mean, I don't, 
that's not exactly a great uh, stat to be thrown out there because it's just well, but uh, yeah, baby steps. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's getting up there a little bit more. I mean, I'm just looking at his field goal percentage from the last you know couple of games, and you know he was at like 44 uh, percent against Miami, went back down to 30, then like 44 again. Then he was up around like almost 60 for for a game or two. So it's like, yeah, the consistency again. We've been calling for it all season, but man, he is like just the little things that you can see. You know the, how he's comfortable. You know going left now. Just kind of the the shot improving a little bit. Just how he moves on the court. I think you're right, Kyle. It is. It can be groomed into a a little bit more of a Durant type fashion. Just you know, kind of slow moving, but you know, just I I don't know. I just that footwork in there, I think, could be really beneficial to getting him getting him unlocked a little bit more. Yeah, he's been 41.4% from the field in March, 43% from three, and 72% from the line. Now, the downside is the two-point shooting still isn't where you want him to be. So it's 4.5 for 10.9. And with the threes, so, I mean, it's basically... Um, bad at math. It's like 2.4. He's got to be shooting like still under four. He's still shooting under 40% on his twos. And that's, yeah. that's really, that's the, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I am confident he is going to be in an above average three point shooter for his size. Like he will shoot above 35%. And by I, the I time, agree with that, yeah. and by the time he's a more of a, he, that's, he's going to be a power forward shooting, 35 between 35 and 40 percent from three maybe you get lucky and he can even be on the high side of that but he, the the two point percentage is where and how he gets at finishing at the rim is going to determine how high level of a player he can be yeah i feel like it's just uh, what he tries to do is you know he, he gets into the paint whenever he wants and he can get those floaters off and the shots he wants but um, when they force him left or sometimes they apply a little bit of pressure physically, he, he kind of gets flustered and then throws up a wild shot. So he just can't take contact. He, yeah. I, so I think he's going to be fine, you know, in the long run. And once he starts bulking up a little bit and getting used to it, you know, and really starts learning to go left comfortably. Um, I think he's going to, it's going to level out, but I, I think that's why the percentages are so low. You know, he's still trying to figure out how to use his body and get there. But you, you see, like, you see the flashes. You see how smooth he could be in transition at his size, too. And um, I, I'm I'm still very, very high on him despite his struggles. I'm very confident he turns into a good player. But, um, you know, I'm looking to see that stride pretty big, immediately next year. A big part of it, I mean, he still seems to, like, I feel like he's still afraid of his free throw shooting. Like he hasn't been, he's gotten better as the season has progressed. Like he started off, he started off the season really bad, but he's coming back around a little bit more. But he's just still not taking all that many attempts. I mean, he didn't take any versus Miami. He took four the game before that, two before that, and recently it's kind of that's kind of picking up a little bit too. He's at like five and six after that, and his shooting has gotten you know better. He's four for six against Utah recently. You know, four for five after that. It's just he just doesn't look like he wants to try to absorb any contact or, you know, it just ends up being like kind of a floater that goes nowhere or, you know, just it's, I feel like that's a big way that he could get that field goal percentage up too, is if he cut out some of those, you know, floaters that, you know, just are on aim basically. He's just trying to throw the shot up and replace that, with just getting to the line. I mean, that's going to help his, just his raw numbers a, a whole lot. Three attempts in 28.6 minutes per game in March isn't the best, but it's not it's not the worst. Yet you get him another eight minutes, and that per 36, that's probably like 3.6, 3.7 per 36. So there's room there's room for improvement there, but I do think he does he doesn't shy away from contact. Maybe sometimes he even goes straight into it a little too much instead of trying to like navigate around the guy like there was one play in the heat game specifically when he used his length to avoid i forget whoever was defending the rim got it around placed it off the backboard nicely and made the layup maybe if he he tries to draw contact with his body a little bit and extend and and finish rather than just going straight through someone is how could help him get to the foul line even 
a little bit more. It's just a nuance in, in it all. It's just one after he gets off his feet, after he or you know, once he's planning a shot, once he's driving in, it's just a little bit more anticipation on what the defense is going to throw his way and how he can get around that. And I think, you know, largely that still comes with experience. And we know that, you know, in the minutes he's gotten this season, in the time that he's played, which has been pretty significant, he's definitely had his struggles, but the more struggles he has, I don't know, it just feels to me the faster he's going to get to that goal of actually being a productive member of this team. All right, uh, before we talk to uh, Mike Cortez, is going to come on and join us to talk about the uh, Final Four in a few, but uh, you guys want to take a quick look at the Knicks' upcoming schedule? Uh, can we sim it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm actually, uh, I, I was just looking at tickets today, and uh, Knicks play in Chicago uh, for the second to last game of the season, and like, do you know, like, United Center, New York Knicks versus Chicago Bulls. Tickets from $18. Catch the fever. Dude, it is... the Bulls are basically sitting their whole team right oh now. Oh, my God. It's terrible. But I'm just like, fuck it, dude. I'm going to go. I can't wait. Um, yeah, you might as well for cheap. Yeah, I know, right? $18. It's like Section 300, but I don't care. Uh, they actually are playing the Bulls tomorrow uh, at MSG. And, you know, that... It's going to be a very interesting uh, matchup of the tank, but at least we have enough separation at this point that won't matter too much. Um, Can they be caught? Like, realistically, I haven't even looked at the standings in a minute. I, I don't think so. Let me see. I'm bringing it up right now. Yeah, so. I got, Knicks are 14-62. The Cavs are in 14th with 19-58. and 58. Bulls are 21-56. and 56. So it's highly unlikely that yeah, I, think, I don't think the Bulls have even a chance to get there. Highly unlikely the Cavs do. So, and where can you drop if you get finished second? Uh, if you finish second, I believe you can go down to sixth. So at, the, at this point, I mean, you can root for the Knicks to win games at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, listen, the Bulls aren't playing anybody. I know Marketing's out for the rest of the season. Uh, Wendell Carter's been out for a little bit too, right? Yeah, Otto Porter's out. Yeah. Le- Levine or Levine, however you pronounce his name, is implying uh, Lori's out for the season. Their entire roster is basically sitting. Yeah. Chris Dunn. Uh, yeah, so that'll be interesting. Uh, is is Jaron Grant still on that team? No, he's on the Magic. Oh, damn. Maverick, Magic is just accepting all those uh, washed out point guards now. That's really their solution. They went for Markel Fultz. They went for Jaron Grant. And they went for Michael Carter Williams. And they're about to make the play. They have a legit chance to make the play. Yeah, that's the craziest. Yes, off recently. we'll get a Robin Lopez reunion tomorrow. Oh yeah, Rolo. Rolo. Is he still? Is he still playing? I don't fucking know. Wow, Denzel Valentine's still on this team. I think he's been out all season. He's hurt. He's been hurt a lot. Yeah, he had knee issues coming out. That's why he dropped in the draft, partially. Yeah. I liked him a lot in college. Smart player. As much as I you, I liked him as much as you could for a Michigan State player. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we got Bulls. What else is after that? I mean, geez, it's not. Simulate to end, as Kyle said. Yeah, we got Bulls twice in there. Uh, Magic right after that. Rockets right after that. Wizards after that. Got Bulls again, and then Pistons. So, uh, yeah, I mean, get excited about the other players on these other teams that you want to see, or maybe don't, because they'll probably be sitting anyway. Uh, do we do we have any news on Trier? Is he out for the season? I don't think there's been any update, right? I haven't heard anything. It's strange. No, there's not. Hasn't been any updates. They just well, keep sitting them. Well, that is our. Uh, that is where we are with this team right now. We know that you are suffering through it all as well. Uh, we're simming to the end as fast as we can, but what we got two weeks, two weeks before the end of the season, playoff basketball. We can go watch some actual teams play. Pretty, pretty much. Hey, uh, I'm watching this this Phillies game, and uh, Bryce Harper just keeps mashing the fucking baseball. And uh, how Brett Gardner do today? And yeah, and uh, I think the Yankees left twelve base runners on today, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, just he's just moonshots, just moonshots. 
Just who was the starting pitcher in the Yankees' first three games? Uh, Tanaka, Paxton, and then today was Hap. Oh man, playoff rotation right there. Right man. there, terrifying, vaunted, vaunted. That's a, yeah, it's a good. Well, it's a, it's a good thing that they stayed under salary cap. Uh, uh, wait. Oh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. They they could have they could have just afforded both. Yeah. How's Ando Anduhar been so far? He's been swinging the. Uh, he, I don't know, not great, but well, he actually blew game two. That was just a brutal at bat to end it. But um, I I don't know. I hope they have a bad season. I will have so much fun. He's, he's looked. He's looked. Why fine do you really mostly. like intend on alienating as many reasons as many listeners as you can from this podcast? Oh, I'm gonna be. The, the Yankee season is going to be the best possible sports season for me. One, I'm not going to watch a single pitch. Two, if they lose, I'm going to have all the fun in the world. Three, if they win, I just don't care. Yeah, that's been I, I have that mentality to quite a few teams. Yeah, the ultimate gas no, bag. <laughs> there's no losing in this scenario for me. I win no matter what. <laughs> I'm just trying not to overreact. I, I always do this. They, they always suck to start the season. I always get mad. Then they get really, really hot. Everything's fun. Everything's great. And then it levels out. So I, I'm trying not to go nuts. Like even Gary, Gary's for all his complaints about the pass balls and drop balls issues, but he's actually really good at throwing guys out and he's bounced two of them already, you know, just, just really not great throws. And it's like, I'm just going to chalk this shit off to the beginning of the eight. It's, it, it hurts worse. There really shouldn't be an excuse to lose to the Orioles. Uh, two out of three. If you lose one, whatever should happen. But if you lose two out of three, the Orioles start the year. Uh, the, this Orioles team, uh, which looks like an auto-generated team, and uh, you know MLB the show. It looks like just Chicago made, Bulls basically. Who, who, yeah, is just, the, who is the best player on the Orioles? I I, I don't know. Mancini looks like a a god against us, so I'm going to go with Mancini. Just just raking. Um, like who hits one, two, three for them? Still don't know. <laughs> watch watch all watch all three games closely. Still don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> let, let, let me pull it up now, and then, then we can move on. <laughs> no, that's great. No, that is the content I'm here for when it comes to Yankees baseball. Villar, Smith, Mancini. Who's Smith? Oh, to make it worse. Dwight Smith. I'd never even heard of that person. Of course, of course you haven't heard of Dwight Smith. <laughs> of course you haven't heard of Dwight Smith. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that has been your uh, your Yankees Oriole update for uh, for the beginning of the season. As we know, Brian Gibberman will be giving Yankees fans grief all summer long. So keep your uh, keep your head up for that. Uh, joining us on the podcast shortly will be Mike Cortez. Uh, we're going to get into the final four and, yeah, talk about who he sees winning the whole tournament. So stick with us. Joining us now on the TKW podcast, we've got the Knicks Wall's own Mike Cortez. What's going on, dude? Good. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. You've heard him here before. You can follow him at Cortez Era. He brings us everything we need to know on college basketball, especially during this uh, intense period of March. Uh, got a little bit more interesting today, I got to say. As a keen non-observer, it got even interesting to me now where Duke has been pushed out of the tournament by Michigan State in a looks to be a, just an incredibly close game. Tell me about that one. Yeah, I think it, just all of Duke's bad, everything bad about Duke just reared its ugly head towards the end. Uh, Cam was non-existent. Not sure why Alex O'Connell played three minutes. Uh, Coach K didn't do much to help Zion or RJ. It was kind of just throw them the ball and see what happens. So I guess one of them will fit in nice with Fizdale. But, I mean, out of the timeout to... When RJ went to the line, that was just a stupid play. Like, they just threw it to RJ, and he just crashed mm -hmm. into the paint. So, 
I think the formula to beat Duke was there last week. I think Virginia Tech almost did it, and Michigan State was good enough to do it. I mean, they got really lucky both the last two oh, games out. So, I mean, it, it felt like only a matter of time before the bullshit luck wore off. But yeah. it felt like they almost got out of this shit again today. But, yeah. Yeah, because the previous games they had, I think Trey Young, I mean Trey Young, Trey Jones went off from three last game, which is never going to happen again, and it didn't. So I feel like each time they survived, it was just one lucky performance. Like UCF Zion went off from three. This time, this game, nothing happened their way. Like Zion dominated down low, but RJ was pretty bad down the stretch. Cam, like I said, didn't do anything, and Duke had no shooters. So Roger Sherman from The Ringer had this. Duke lost three games with Zion Williamson in the lineup this year. RJ Barrett went 0 for 9 in the final minute of those three games. The rest of the team had three total shots. Zion had one. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds bad, and it's just, I think it's more of an indictment on Coach K because there's just no play calls being drawn up. No, like, at least throw McConnell into the mix or some type of shooter because when it's just Zion and RJ, you kind of just play how you would play the Raptors in the playoffs when they had DeRozan and Lowry, just pack the paint and let them shoot. And that's what happened. I'm so sick of Cam Reddish. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I want to know how much he was, how bad he was hurt. I still don't know what his injury was. But even when he was in, he's just, he's just, I don't know. Like, Duke just doesn't shoot threes, and it's stupid. Like, how do you not have, like, at least two bench guys that all they do is just stand in the corner and launch threes? Yeah, that's bad recruiting. Like, he really should have guys who are spot-up three-point shooters. That's not the hardest thing to find in the world. Yeah, especially for Duke. Get a transfer if you need. Coach Case stinks. He really does. I mean— he might have been a good coach, like when he was coming up. I didn't really see him, but like from since he's been recruiting one and done guys, he doesn't really do much to help them out. It's kind of just here's the ball and score. How much of that do you think is like on a player's, uh, you know, more on the player side than it is on the coach's side? Because I could just imagine being like a one and done player, and you know, as soon as they start to see some cracks in the system, like I'm just gonna completely go on my own at that point because it doesn't matter in the long run. Yeah, it probably varies from player to player, but I get the sense with at least Zion and RJ, and I'm sure Cam's of the same mindset. I think they wanted to learn. Like, I think if Coach K had a system, they would buy into it. Like, they didn't come across as, all right, this is my show for the year, back off. So, like I said, just just a couple out-of-timeout sets, just something. And, I mean, you look at what Calipari does at Kentucky. He's the opposite of Coach K. He puts right. guys in very narrow strict roles and the one and done recruits all go along with that. So I don't see any reason why if coach K did develop some sort of offense that the players wouldn't listen. Right. Yeah. It makes no sense. It's either he just gave up and he just, and he plays one thing that hasn't brought up a lot. He played RJ and Zion a shit ton. RJ played 40 minutes again. I think he averaged close at 35 plus for the season. Since Zion came back, he's played no less than 35 minutes. So, it was really just a thin, thin rotation as well. I, I talked about that on Twitter a little bit and got some pushback. It, it was it, honestly, it was kind of disgusting. Pushback. Zion right out of the injury and just like a dude who's in college and not having more, showing a little bit more hesitation and just going right back to playing him almost 40 minutes a game, coming off someone with his size, coming off a knee injury right that that I. I didn't like how he handled that. I think that's wrong. Yeah, I agree. I, he could have easily gotten hurt again, but thank God he didn't. But, yeah, Coach K treats them just like he knows that they're expiring, so he treats them like it. I feel like the uh, you know, Zion and all of these you know potential high lottery picks that are on the Duke team right now, just them being out of the tournament now, especially Zion, though, like has got to be such a bre- – just – just a relief to all the NBA teams that are like picking it, you know, the, the Knicks and the Cavs and the Suns and everyone like it's just like, God, I know as a fan right now, I just feel happy because, you know, obviously we have the best shot at Zion and I just feel like, uh, you know, at least he won't get hurt anymore. Now it's just like, you know, the next step for him really is the NBA draft. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see just how the next couple of months play out for him and, you know, his squad as well. Yeah. I mean, it was a great run too. I mean, I can't remember. I think 
Anthony Davis, Kentucky was the last time I was that locked into a team. And they just always delivered night in, night out. I mean, this whole tournament, they were kind of just in one one point games, I feel. So they always brought that entertainment value. It's gonna be a fun final four too. I like the from I like the teams that are in it. You have Michigan State and Auburn play like pretty open, free flowing basketball. Texas Tech is a ridiculously good defensive team with fantastic athleticism. And then Virginia is Virginia. We'll just Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think that noise shows that perfectly. I think the only reason I'm not as happy about the Final Four, like now that I've had time to cool off from Duke losing, this is going to be a good Final Four because I still think the best teams are in it. But, man, we could have had Cart Edwards was really good for Purdue on Saturday. Like, we could have really had Purdue, Kentucky, and then Duke and Culver Part 2. I think that could have been really good. But, I mean, Auburn, I think Auburn's just as good in terms of, like, the story. So, who? So uh, yeah, we have these four teams and everything. Now, what players or which players do you think are going to be, like, the biggest difference makers? We have Michigan State versus Texas Tech. Who, who do you think is going to make the difference in that game? Uh, I guess Tillman or Goins, I guess. I mean, Michigan State and Auburn are kind of just, like, they still have their top players, but I feel like they're more of, like, just a team. Versus, like, I don't know. I think all these guys are teams, but I guess, like, Texas Tech is more of just, like, it's Culver and that supporting cast. Whereas Michigan State, I, you could see anyone take the load any night. The, the thing about that Michigan State team is, like, it's all, yeah, the scoring gets spread out, but everything runs through Winston. Like, if he's not the one initiating the offense, mm-hmm. they're going to have a lot of trouble. And Texas Tech was able to really do a good job of taking away Simpson in that Sweet 16 game, and who, what am I, and Gonzaga, I don't know about Gonzaga's guard play as much, but, like, Michigan is was a team like that. Like, everything was gener- is generated around pick and roll and your guards creating and then working off of that. Michigan State's similar, so how Winston adjusts his game to the middle of the court getting taken away from them. I, I'm interested to see how they do that. And if Winston does get slowed down, if anyone else can step up and, or if their offense is just going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be good. I mean, Texas tech's the hottest team too. I think even now they're starting their supporting players are really coming up. Owens had a great, good game. I think Moretti, I think his name is 25 on Texas tech. He had a good game. So it's that's I think that's going to be the better game out of the two. Virginia doesn't really excite me. I hope Auburn beats the living crap out of them. Owens versus Tillman's going to be fun in the Michigan Texas Tech game. Those are two big guys that can really move. They're like pro NBA modern big men with how they can move. They protect the rim and then can stay in front of guards. Yeah, I, I just really want to watch Culver at this point. I've just been prospect hopping. Uh, I have really no strong rooting interest in college basketball. I don't have any hatred either for a lot of teams. So uh, I just want Texas Tech to win it all. I'd like to see more of Culver if possible. It's um, about it. Just looking forward to that. You know, I'm still going to watch the other games, obviously, but. That's got my full attention, as I'm sure it does a lot of other Knicks fans now. Well, Mike, oh, yeah. who who are the biggest like prospects that are left in the tournament now at this point? You know, I, I know I'm not super familiar with the rosters, and you know, I, I guess Kyle at the same point too. We're both looking at prospects, so like, yeah, um, Culver for sure, obviously, right? And then DeAndre Hunter, he's kind of played his way out of the top five, in my opinion. I would rather take Brandon Clark for what it's worth. So in terms of Final Four, I would just be looking at Culver. I think Culver's honestly played his way into the conversation for sec- anywhere as high as second right now. Because if you're confident that Kyrie or Kevin Durant are coming, you need somebody that's ready to go from day one. I think Culver's proving to be that type of player. So we had a everybody's very hard on RJ Barrett, right? Yeah, it's it's still overblown. I still think like I'm trying not to at least let recency bias fool me into completely going Culver over Barrett. But I mean, Barrett, I mean, Culver's just been able to fit without forcing the action if, or over forcing, I should say. Yeah. Because every time we, we try to bring up RJ Barrett, everybody, <laughs> everybody is displeased. And uh, 
it's just I think I agree. I think it's overblown. I, I see a good player in there. I, I get what the concerns are, but there's no perfect prospects. Um, everybody's weaknesses kind of get overblown uh, when you're at that level, you know, entering the NBA draft. So I see a good player in there. I think he's going to be fine in the NBA, but um, I, I don't know that I'd say Culver over him yet, but I am getting there the more I see of Culver, uh, which is, you know, essentially opting into the recency bias. But um, I, I like what I see. Uh, I, I used to feel he was more of just a safer pick, but I, I think it might be more than that now. Yeah, he's just so good off the ball. And I feel like RJ, the one thing that RJ is just not good at yet is just like chilling out. Like he has oh, a lot of Westbrook in him. Sam Vecini had a great, a good R.J. Barrett tweet. This is from a couple hours ago. Mm-hmm. This was the ultimate R.J. Barrett game from both sides of the spectrum. Guy goes for 21-6-6, six and six, made like three huge shots in the, in the second half. He also turned it over seven times, struggled around the basket, and got a little selfish late. That's the, the finishing thing is the question I have about him because I've seen some numbers float around and watching him play. Now he takes some tough attempts, but he's not as good of a finisher around the rim as his reputation would have people think based on the numbers, at least. Yeah. And I think a lot of those numbers, well, not a lot, but the numbers are skewed because he is most of the time he's crashing in and taking contact. So his attempts are awful. Like he'll do it. He has a lot of rust in him in terms of, driving to the road, just getting that tunnel vision because he's a good passer and he passes when he's not um, and driving to the hoop. Like when he drives to the hoop, he's going to score no matter what, like in his mind. So if he misses it, he's going to keep going up and up and up and those misses tally up. So I think a lot of those numbers are just from crashing into walls. So Mike, I am uh, taking a look now at you just released the final edition of your draft board on the next uh, on uh, the nextwall dot com. Um, as we all expect, Zion Williamson is still your uh, you know your your number one pick in the uh, in this draft uh, in this draft board. Nothing really changing there. Uh, you do have R.J. Barrett at number two still. Yep. Um, going up from there, John Morant at number four. Uh, and then we got we got Jared Culver, we got Brandon Clark, Cam Reddish. So like these guys, of any of all these guys that you have on your list right now, who do you think would be the the one person who has like the biggest chance of making that that leap that no one's really expecting? Uh, Is there any, any any anyone really standing out that really that you know maybe you, the, you think everyone else is sleeping on, but uh, you know if he were to be drafted highly, that you'd be all in on it. Uh, I would say Clark because while the people that follow the draft, that's how I found out Clark while just getting written really deep into like draft Twitter and draft Reddit. So they're already wise to Clark, but I feel like people that don't follow as closely will probably be like, who is that guy? But if we get to fifth, because I think the top four is what it is. It's Zion, Ja, RJ, Culver, and whatever order you want. Mm -hmm. And then at five, if you're not really sold on cam, I think if you are going to swing up swing for somebody, it's either going to be Clark not for the Knicks case, but in other people's case, Darius Garland. And like I said, DeAndre Hunter just doesn't do it for me. He's he's good, but he's not great. I don't think he's I don't think he's gonna turn into anything special. Yeah, you have DeAndre Hunter, you have Romeo Langford, you have Darius Garland, Nasir Little, and Rui Hachimura on the bottom of your uh on the bottom of your list as names to keep tabs on. How mm-hmm. likely are, are these guys jumping, you know, into the the top five at this point or even top four? Is it just basically an abstract thought at this point? Uh, yeah, I'm, if like the Bulls and Suns are ahead, like if, if the draft, the order breaks down and it's Suns and Bulls at like two and three, maybe I could see Garland jumping in because the Bulls kind of need a point guard, as do the Suns. And Garland, I mean, if his medicals look fine, from what we saw from him in the high school, I know it's high school highlights, but he looked like he could score. So <laughs> I think that's one guy that could jump in. And then I heard the Hawks are really high on Reddish. So if they jump into the top four, Maybe they take Reddish over Culver or Ja. Well, they'll definitely pass on Ja. So that's where it's at. And Jackson Hayes, too. Not for the Knicks, again, but he's somebody that I've seen climb a lot. If the Hawks don't get Zion, I, I think they got to go Culver in that situation. I just I think his fit with that team yeah, would be fantastic. Um, all right. Well, 
it's all coming down to it now. Uh, do you have do you have an idea of who's going to be playing in the championship game? Um, I want Texas Tech versus Auburn. I wouldn't mind Michigan State Auburn. I just do not want to see Virginia hmm. play for that championship. They're just so boring to me. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go around the horn. Then we need a we need a winner. We need our final pick. Me first. Uh, Texas Tech. Texas, Texas Tech. Tech Brian. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna whoever wins the Michigan State Texas Tech game, but I'm gonna go with Texas Tech. Kyle, what you got? I'm going with Texas Tech because that that defense is terrifying. I'm sticking by my guns, man. I'm sticking with Michigan State. I'm all about it. I called it from the very start. Uh, <laughs> all right, Mike, before we get you out of here, we have a couple of mailbag questions for you. Uh, we got earlier today off of Twitter. Kyle's going to fire some of those off for you. Cool. Okay, so from our buddy David uh, Futternick. He said the Knicks are clearly getting the fifth pick because God hates us. Who is the most likely best available pick at five? Uh, unfortunately, it's Cam for sure. Then it's DeAndre and Brandon Clark. So those are three most likely. And like I said, if a point guard, a team that needs a point guard jumps the Knicks, maybe Culver slips, maybe Barrett slips, maybe Joss slips. But I think for now, I'll just plan for Cam, Brandon Clark, DeAndre Hunter. Okay. Uh, the next one is, do you think the Knicks should draft John Morant if they get the second pick? Oh, all right, so this is an interesting one. If by this time we're assuming the Knicks know whether they're getting Durant, if they don't, I think Jaws an interesting pivot to where, kind of like the Hawks did with Trey Young, where it's they kind of rebuild around him, and I would not be against it. The one thing that's holding me back is what to do with Dennis Smith, who I've grown to like. I wouldn't be opposed to trying them out, but two six three guys is not really going to move the needle. But I'd imagine it wouldn't really work. But I'd really want to see them try it out because I don't want to give up on Dennis just because we got you know Ja, who I would be very excited for. Now, if Dennis is willing to be the sixth man, like if he's like I'm all about being the sixth man, then then more power to it. Take Ja because Ja's just special. It's going to be hard to pass on him even if you get the number one pick, just because it's like, damn, this guy's really good, but it is what it is. Okay. Uh, well, just as a show of the RJ love and hate. So somebody says, well, well, he has a lot to work on. He's an extraordinary passer and a uh, score, but his decision-making down the stretch was a uh, subpar and his free throw shooting isn't good either, but I still think he'll be a good player at the next level. And then somebody down a couple of replies said, I really hope we don't draft RJ with several vomit emoji faces. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so, I mean, it's... it's I, we I talked ourselves into Kevin... I mean, I like Kevin Knox, but we talked ourselves into loving Kevin Knox. You're not going to love RJ Barrett, really? Well, we would have to draw the line? Yeah, yeah, it's true. We would absolutely do it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, especially, I mean, what did he have today? 21, 6, and 6, and nobody yeah. nobody cared? Yeah, I mean, there are concerns. Like, the concerns are valid. Like, he does, he is inefficient, and he does turn the ball over. But I want to see him with shooters. I want to see him in more space. Because in Duke, he was kind of just boxing in a corner. It's like dirty boxing in UFC. It was just, everything was just so close in on him. Okay, and then the last two, these are more, if you agree or disagree, uh, one's a statement, one's a, somebody's mock five here. Mm-hmm. But uh, so first person just said Zion is obviously the prize, but the Knicks can't lose if they get a top three pick. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. I think anything, I, I would extend it to a four. I think you get any of that top four, I think you're happy. At what I'm, point, before before we get into uh, you know, the top five, like you, like Kyle was just saying, like at what point do you think? the Knicks get better value for trading that pick. I don't necessarily value wise probably three to four. Okay. I don't think five, maybe five. Like I said, if the Hawks, but I think the most value is going to get you for the team trying to get Ja or Culver. Right. Right. Okay. So, and then, uh, yeah. So the last thing then was, how do we feel about his top five here? Number one is duh, you know, Zion Williamson. <laughs> so he put two A and two B. So his his two is Culver, his three basically is Clark. 
Mm-hmm. He says he doesn't care about the age. We need players, not projects. Four, four is Morant and five is Barrett. I think that's a little, little low on Barrett, but yeah, I, I see what he's going for. I, like I said, Clark, Clark's a really good culture fit too. Same with Culver, where you know they're hard workers. It's not gonna be a lot of drama. I don't think RJ's like that either. And I don't know. I think you can't go wrong, but I would still have Clark below Barrett personally. Especially for this, for the, what the Knicks need. The Knicks need, ideally, somebody that could shoot from outside. So, yeah, I would. The rest of the board's all right. I'll just swap out Clark for Barrett. And then uh, I just want to give everybody one fun Cam Reddish stat. Uh, <laughs> so this is from uh, Jonathan Wasserman oh, at NBA Draft Was, and uh, it says. Cam Reddish finishes his freshman season at 35% field goal percentage with 70 assists Oof. and 96 turnovers. Gross. I just don't get it with him. I, I he's been a he's the miss he's an enigma. Like I don't get it. He's had the shot attempts. He's even had the spit. Like he's also had times where it's just him and RJ or him and Zion and still nothing. Do you buy into it's RJ like if it I know that Zion missed time and everything, but do you buy into they've really overshadowed him too much and he wasn't able to create? Or, you know, was it not enough long enough stretch for him to get into a rhythm maybe? Because I've seen the tapes that everybody was high on, and I can see why people would be high on him. But how much of, how much of that do you think is true? Uh, a little bit. Maybe. The only thing I could think of is back to Coach K where maybe drop some plays where Cam's just catching and shooting. Most of their most of Duke's stuff was like playground ball, where it was just RJ or Zion initiated or Trey Jones, and either they got to the rim or they kicked it out. And I mean, Cam could have easily just stood in the corner and launched threes, but even when he didn't, he wasn't really doing anything getting to the rim. He didn't really have a good post move. I can't tell you anything. Like I can't tell you a signature Cam moment outside of that shot against Florida State. Well. A lot of questions left to uh, to still be answered from here, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to uh, we'll have to bring Mike back on at the end of the tournament, do a little recap and everything. You can uh, hit us with your most exciting points and everything. Yeah, sounds good. All right, make sure you're all following Mike at Cortez Era. Uh, final edition of his draft board just came out the other day. Go give that a read. Some more in depth analysis on that. Um, and yeah, check out everything else he has coming out on the next wall.com too. Always a pleasure, dude. Likewise. Likewise. Have a good night, guys. All right. Take care. Too, take it easy. Talk to you later, Mike. Right, man. Thanks again to Mike for joining us on that segment. Uh, before we get out of here, just want to remind everyone to please head to the next wall.com. Please give us all those subscriptions and reviews and all the stars, as many stars as you can muster for us, please. We need them. Um, Thank you to Kyle and Brian as always, and we will talk to you all. Uh, what's today? Sunday? We'll talk to you all on Wednesday.